So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him, bound, to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter denied again, and at once, Mr. Crow. Pastor Terry. Let's start with prayer. Holy Father, we praise you. We honor you, Father. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the time of raising our voices to you in song, in worship to you. Help us, as Luke already mentioned, to have a a greater view of who you are this morning. We ask that you continue that as we look at Peter's denial. We thank you for your grace and mercy on us. In him we pray, amen. Well, Peter denying Christ is found in all four of our Gospels, which tells us that this story is important for us to hear this morning. It's important for us to really think about. But John's Gospel does something different than the other Gospels. The other three Gospels focus solely on the denial of Peter, and then they focus on the trial of Christ separately. But in the Gospel of John, he intertwines Peter's denial with Christ's preliminary trial in front of the prior high priest, Ananias. 
A passage I'm referring to is what we just read, John 18, 12 through 27, the section that Chuck just read. And by the way, thank you, Chuck, that was awesome. But we're going to do something a little different this morning. We're not going to go verse by verse through the section like we usually do, because we'd be here all morning. I know some of you want to get to lunch, but we will refer to the passages, but Overall, we will focus on Peter denying Christ. But before we go there, before we look at Peter's fall, we need to answer the first obvious question, which is why did John intertwine the stories of Jesus and Peter together? Why did he go about it that way? What's going on? Well, it seems there could be different reasons why John meshes both the trial of Christ, and the denial of Peter together. But let me just give us two different possibilities. Possibility number one, to show the reality that Christ is God. Possibility number one is to show the reality that Christ is God. One of John's themes is to show us that Christ isn't just a faithful man, but that he's God in the flesh. Let's read John 1, 1 through 3. Speaking of Jesus, it says this. John says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John can't be any clearer about his view of Christ. He tells us in the, in the very beginning he starts the gospel by saying that Christ was with God and Christ was God. And that everything was made through Christ, which shows us that he's eternal, that he's creator, that he is none other than God himself. And we come to our verses this morning where we get a glimpse of Jesus in this preliminary trial where Christ looks at death square in the face and handles himself in complete control because he is in complete control. He's composed. He's faithful. He's full of wisdom. He responds to Annas' questions with wisdom and truth. But then John leaves Jesus. He leaves Jesus. And we see Peter, who is the exact opposite of Jesus. Peter is struggling. He's confused. He's scared. As he's asked casually by a servant girl if he was one of Jesus' disciples. And instantly, Peter lies about it. He denies it. And if that isn't bad enough, then Peter goes on to deny Christ two more times. Again, we see the difference of the best of humans fail time and time again while we see Christ handle every situation perfectly. Christ is God. Peter, on the other hand, is just a mere human. But another possibility of why John intertwines Christ's denial and Peter, Christ's trial with Peter's denial is possibility number two. John shows us that Christ loved us even at our worst. Possibility number two says this, that John shows us that Christ loved us even at our worst. 
John may have weaved these stories together to show Christ's faithfulness, his care for us even when we were unfaithful to him. I mean, think about this. Peter was a close companion. He was a friend. He was a follower. He was a disciple of Christ. And what happens when Christ is captured? Peter instantly turns his back. He lies about knowing Christ. He betrays the very one at that very moment who is preparing to be killed for Peter's sake. Peter is looking out for self while Jesus is looking out for Peter. Peter is listening to his own heart while Jesus is following the Father. Peter loves himself while Jesus loves Peter. Peter's rebelling against God while Jesus is in the midst of saving Peter and following and obeying God. Jesus knew the wickedness of Peter's heart. Christ knew the pride and selfishness that indwelled Peter. And yet Christ gave up his life for Peter. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says this. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one may dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul says that while we were in Peter's shoes, Christ died for us. You may be Peter this morning. You may be rebelling against God. You may be trying to live your own way, and you may conclude that your sin is too great for Christ to forgive. But Christ says, your worst is why I went to the cross in the first place, amen? Your worst moments, your worst seconds, your worst hours, your worst days, your worst months, your worst years is why Christ died. I must admit, that's good news. That's the gospel. It's really good news to me and to you. Because I am often Peter, I must admit. I've dishonored Christ in so many areas of my life. I have, a few times, stuck my foot in my mouth on many occasions when I've allowed my emotions to control me. Or, I have often acted unloving to my wife, and others, or I've even been known to discipline my children out of frustration. My two, four, and six-year-old, I often want the children just to behave, just to get along so I can relax. Not so much because I want them to follow Christ, but so I can have my own personal peace and rest. And yet, in my selfishness, in my pride, in those faithless moments, Christ says to us all in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Which means God is working in our weaknesses. Christ is working and using even our sinful struggles to further grow us and glorify his name, amen? 
But let me read all of 2 Corinthians 12, 9, which says this. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, so this is Paul responding now. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So Paul says he will boast even though he struggles, even though when he has times of failure, even though he sins because Christ says his grace is working in those times, in those moments. Christ is growing Paul. Christ is using all of Paul's life to transform him in the likeness of Jesus Christ. And similarly, Christ is doing the same with us. The Holy Spirit is working in us, whether it's our terrible past or our sinful mistakes or often our wrong choices. God will use it all to help us depend more on him. He will use our failures to mature us in Christ. If we are believers this morning, we can be confident and know that Christ died for us at our very worst. Because Christ because of Christ, we are accepted by the Father. For those of us who aren't believers, I would encourage you, I would plead with you to turn to Christ today. Repent of your sins. Turn away from self and submit to Christ, recognizing he is the only true God that deserves all of our glory, honor, and praise. Amen? His mercy is abounding. His grace is overflowing. His love is eternal. So the real question is, why wouldn't you want to submit to Christ as Lord and Savior? I mean, look at the love and patience he had with Peter. He has that same love and patience with us as well. But for the rest of the message... I want us to specifically focus on Peter, the Apostle Peter. But I really don't want us to gaze too long at Peter. I don't want us to think too much on Peter. I mean, I don't want us to get so horizontally consumed that we become vertically challenged. Peter's life isn't about Peter per se, but Christ Peter isn't the most important person to focus on when we are talking about Peter. It's Christ that we should turn to. So we don't want to get so horizontally consumed by, by focusing on others we, that we become vertically challenged that we miss Christ. That's what the point is. So when we study Peter, when we study anyone in Scripture, it should always lead us to Christ, which leads to point number one. Peter's life was not lived for us to focus on Peter, but to exalt Christ. Peter's life was not lived for us to focus on Peter, but to exalt Christ. In our story this morning, Peter denies Christ three times. And yet, we see later, after Christ restores him, Peter becomes the apostle who spreads Christ to the Jews. 
I mean, Peter's life is the ultimate amazing comeback story, right? We might be tempted to give credit to Peter. We might think, wow, look at how Peter changed. Wow, look at how Peter got his life together, got right with the Lord. Peter became a great man of God. As if Peter was the cause for such transformation. But in reality, Peter's transformation should turn our eyes upward to Christ instead of horizontally to Peter. We should fall on our knees and praise God for his graciousness, for his transformation to sinners like Peter. Wretched, faithless sinners like Peter and ourselves that he turns into saints, amen? The victory is found in Christ when we handle our situations when we handle our situations godly, or when we walk in faith, we shouldn't think higher of ourselves or think we've arrived, but our victory should lead us to think higher, to think greater, to be more in awe of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do we look at our life that way? As being crucified or being dead to self and now alive only in Christ? Do we look at the good that we achieve as only done because Christ now lives in us? So another question is, why did Peter fall so hard? I mean, why did he totally turn his back on his Lord and Savior? Let's refresh our memory and read through this denial of Peter in John 18. I'm going to read 17 and skip down to 25 and 27. But John says this, The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Verse 25, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So he said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once the rooster crowed. Again, the question at hand, why did Peter deny Christ three times? I mean, Peter wouldn't be described as a lukewarm, worldly Christian. He was dedicated. He was committed. He was all in for Christ. He left everything to follow Christ. He left his job, his home. He gave up even his own reputation to follow Christ. If Peter were living today, he would be described as one of those extremists, those Bible thumpers, those Jesus freaks. We know also that he was chosen by Christ. He was a close companion of Christ. And yet, Peter denied Christ. And it's as if he became another person altogether. It was like Peter had multiple personality disorder. I mean, he went from being strong, confident, and bold for Christ to be to full of fear, confused, scared to death, insecure. 
So what happened? Why did Peter turn his back on his Lord? Well, we know in the upper room, before Jesus took the disciples into the garden, he said specifically that Satan would sift out Peter like wheat, which meant Satan was going to put all of his efforts and energies into attacking Peter's faith. Let's jump and look at that real quick at Luke twenty-two thirty-one, where Jesus says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. So we see that Jesus warns Peter that Satan has his sights on Peter, that he has his aim on Peter, that Satan is going to attack him. And what is Peter's response to such news? Does he turn to Christ and ask for his protection? Or does he ask Christ to give him strength or to give him faith or to be obedient to the faith he already has at that moment? Of course, the answer is no. Let's read. It says this, Luke twenty-two thirty-three. 33. Peter says, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and death. So Peter totally ignores what Jesus just told him and tells Christ, I will never turn my back on you. I mean, think about that. Peter is talking to God. And Jesus warns Peter, and what is Peter's response? He challenges the Lord. The question is, why? What drove Peter to ignore the Lord's warning? Why didn't Peter heed the Lord's instruction? Downfall number one. Peter was self-confident. Downfall number one was that Peter was self-confident. And I know some of us are thinking, what's wrong with being self-confident? How can being confident in yourself be a problem? I mean, the world says being self-confident is what we strive for, right? It's what you need to be successful. It's how you get ahead in this world, right? Psychology calls self-confidence by another name. They call it self-esteem. And they espouse that self-esteem allows us to be real. It allows us to find our true self, our true identity. But the problem is, Scripture disagrees with both of their views. Scripture says this, Proverbs 28, 26 says, Those who trust in themselves are fools. Those who have high self-esteem are fools. Those who have self-confidence, God says, are fools. That's not my words. That's what the Bible says. The question is, why? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with having self-confidence? Why does God say that self-confident people aren't that smart? Well, let's take Peter. Let's take Peter here. He didn't even consider what Jesus was saying because Peter knew better than God himself because he was so self-confident. Self-confidence is having confidence in the wrong place. Self-confidence is looking inward instead of upward. Self-confidence is having faith in ourselves instead of Christ. Self-confidence is the enemy of faith in Christ. Peter's self-confidence blocked his ability to trust in Christ at that moment. I wonder this morning if we see the danger of self-confidence. 
talk about other sins like addictions or bitterness or unforgiveness or hatred or fear or anger, but what about the sin of self-confidence? Let me ask this. When is the last time you heard a message that talked about the sin of self-confidence in church? Where is our confidence this morning? Is it in self or is it in Christ? And this leads us to the second downfall of Peter. It goes hand in hand with being self-confident. Downfall number two, Peter failed to pray. Downfall number two says that Peter failed to pray. Let's go back to the garden for a moment where we were last week in the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus takes the disciples. And John doesn't tell us why they go there. But we see from the gospel of Matthew that when they were there, Jesus prays fervently. And Jesus also encourages the disciples to pray as well. But guess what happens? They fall asleep. It's late. They're exhausted, right? Jesus encourages them to pray. Matthew 26, 41, when he says this, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. But again, guess what happens? They fall asleep. And think about this. This is after Jesus had just gave Peter the terrible news that he would be attacked by Satan and that he would deny Jesus three times. I mean, if anybody was going to stay awake that night, you would think it would be Peter, right? And yet, what does Peter do? He falls asleep again. The problem is, When we are self-confident, prayer doesn't seem so important. It's not a high priority on the list. It's not a must for survival because my dependence isn't on God. It's on myself. If I'm self-confident, then I'm usually too busy accomplishing things or working in my own strength to make things happen. I wonder what our prayer life reveals about our dependence on God. I wonder what our prayer life reveals about self-confidence. I wonder if we have ever thought about self-confidence as being sinful. Well, downfall number three. Peter wasn't prepared for battle. Downfall number three is that Peter wasn't prepared for battle. John 18, 15 tells us that Peter followed Christ. Peter followed Christ at a distance, after Christ was arrested, right? I mean, the thought for Peter that Christ was seized, that he would be captured, must have turned Peter's life upside down. Peter's self-confidence began to crumble. His good feelings of self all of a sudden disappeared. Peter was in crisis. He was in crisis mode. And we see God's preparation for Peter's crisis began when he didn't heed Jesus' warning back in the upper room. Peter wasn't worried about being attacked by Satan. Peter wasn't worried about praying. Peter didn't realize the danger he was facing. It reminds me of a child trying to play near a road, a busy road, or a child who can't swim playing by the pool. The child doesn't realize the danger of a car going by or accidentally slipping into the pool. But instantly, just like that, the child's life is taken from them. It's gone. 
And all the while they were naive. They were oblivious to the danger that was right in front of them all the time. And similarly, that's what we see with Peter. He doesn't recognize the gravity of the seriousness of what he is about to face. He doesn't consider the spiritual battle that is going on all around him. Ephesians 6, 12 tells us, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our physical strength is no match for spiritual forces that are working around us and in us. Peter didn't realize that his own strength was no match for Satan's. It would be comparable to a child fighting a marine with a plastic sword. Peter's way out of his league. It's way over his pay grade. It's way over his head. As he swings his little plastic sword at Satan acting like a big shot. I wonder as we think about our life, do we realize the same spiritual forces are working around us and in us as well? We have Satan, the the world, and our flesh working overtime to cause us to deny our faith, to cause us to crumble spiritually, to cause us to become stagnant in our walk with Christ, to cause us to be self-confident and depend on ourselves. I wonder if we see why self-confidence is such a threat to faith. So the final question that I want to ask us this morning is what can we learn from Peter's denial of Christ? What practical application can we learn from Peter's failure? Application number one. No one is too big to fail. Application number one is this. No one is too big to fail. We may have heard this one before. We may have heard it, the sediment in our political arena, but it's true spiritually as well. It may be the apostle Peter. It may be a pastor like myself. It may be a godly man or a godly woman like some of you, but none of us are beyond falling. None of us are beyond being tempted by sin. When we are appalled, or disgusted by other people who have fallen into sin, who make some terrible choices that forever change their life. Maybe they lose their job. Or maybe they cause their marriage to break up. Or they end up in jail. What is our reaction to them? What is our reaction? Is it one of heartbrokenness? Sadness? Wanting to come alongside them? A reality that any of us could be that person? Or is it self-righteous attitude, looking down at everyone else? Imagining, I would never do anything like that. I would never fall into sin like that. Satan will never get me. I mean, Peter said he would go to death for Christ, right? And yet we saw how flaky, how weak, how easy Peter fell into sin. I would ask you, are we different than Peter? Are we better than the Apostle Peter? 
And some of us at this moment may be thinking, but Peter hadn't received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that's true. That is true. But I would take the apostle Paul then, that did have the indwelling of the Spirit later, when he said he was worst of sinners. Paul saw the danger of falling into sin even as an apostle. Even after he's written, what, 70% of the New Testament. Paul knew his only hope was Christ. Not himself. That's why Romans 12.3 tells us, For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Paul says not to have an inflated high view of yourself. Recognize that we are weak within ourselves, that we are helpless without Christ, that we are in trouble when we depend on ourselves instead of Christ. Application number two. Reaching the bottom allows us to look up. Reaching the bottom allows us to look up. Peter was a disciple. He had influence. He he, he was one with Christ. He was one of Christ's right-hand men. But the problem was Peter was depending on himself, right? We've we've established he was full of self-confidence. And yet something tragic, yet great, happened. Something horrifying, yet blessed, happened to Peter. You know what it was? He denied Christ, and he did it three times. And you may be thinking, how is that horrifying and good at the same time? Well, it was bad because he sinned, blatantly denied Christ and lied about it, but good because it crushed him. Scripture says he broke down and wept. It smashed his large ego. It destroyed his inflated self-confidence. It brought him to his knees where he needed to go. In Matthew 5, 3, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, or happy are those that know they are nothing without Christ. Amen? I wonder this morning if we know that we are nothing without Christ. Some of us this morning have reached the bottom and we aren't looking up. We are still trying to find our own way out. We may be reading the newest self-help books or we may be depending on 12 steps or we may be trying to just work really hard in our own strength, but Christ says, give up, quit trying in yourself and turn to me for your confidence. Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29, Jesus says some wonderful words to us to hear. Wonderful words for some of us that are really struggling this morning. He says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen? We see here that when we submit to Christ, he takes our burdens. He carries our heavy loads. He begins to free us from our struggles. He begins to free us from our pasts. But that means we have to give up on our big egos, our pride. We have to stop trying to be God and submit to the only one true God. Well, the third thing we learn from Peter, application number three. Our sin leads us to the cross. 
our sin leads us to the cross. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. Paul says all things work together for the good. All things here means what, guys? All things, right? All things. It's not just in those mountaintop moments or the good moments, the faithful moments, but we see that God uses all of our life, which includes our failures, our struggles, our sinful decisions, and he still uses them all to mature us in Christ Jesus. We should celebrate over that, right? That means he's using even even our past. And this should give many of us hope, right? Because some of us have had pretty terrible pasts. May have been involving drugs, abuse, rejection. But Christ says, I am redeeming your pain, your suffering, your rejection, your past. There is purpose for your suffering. There's purpose for the pain. Christ uses our suffering. Christ uses our sin to drive us to the cross, to drive us to have a greater, a higher, a larger, a more accurate view of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's look at one more passage to show that our sin should lead us to a closer relationship to Christ. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Paul says godly grief or or sorrow, godly sorrow, produces repentance, which means godly sorrow brings about a turning away from our sin and turns us closer to Christ. And then Paul says godly sorrow leads to salvation, which leaves no regret. That's amazing, right? Which means we don't continue to beat ourselves up over our sin. We don't continue to play the victim and act like we are damaged goods from our pasts because we recognize our sin, our bad decisions, our dysfunctional past led us to salvation. It led us to a closer relationship to Christ today. He uses it all. It's part of the reason, again, who we are today in Christ what God used to get us to where we are today. God uses all of our life. He uses our sin to bring us to godly sorrow. He uses our sin to show us the riches of the cross. He uses our sin to show us his unfathomable grace. He uses our sin to show us his eternal love. He uses our sin to show us it's not about us, but it's about him. I wonder if we are getting a different perspective on Peter's denial this morning. I wonder if we are getting a different perspective of our own flaws, failures, and even our sin this morning. Christ is greater than our sin, church. Christ is greater than our failures. Christ is greater than our pain. Christ is greater than our troubles. Christ is greater than our past. The question is, are we going to look to Christ instead of those things? Do we believe this this morning? 
Do we live like Christ is greater than the struggles that we are in dealing with right now? Well, I want to end this morning by going to him and asking Christ to guide us with his spirit, to give us strength, to give us the ability to depend on him instead of ourselves. So let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, how amazing you are. How we see that the world, and many times us as well, get it so wrong. We buy into the lies of things like self-esteem and self-confidence instead of repenting and turning and depending and putting our faith in you. Help us to be people who cut through the cultural blinders and depend on your word for our truth instead of what the world says. Thank you for your truths. Thank you for letting us to be able to see the lies of the world and be able to walk through those lies and see the truth of Christ through them, Father. We recognize that Satan is using our sin to condemn us. But we recognize also, Father, help us to recognize if we don't, that you are using our sin to grow us closer to you, to help us know we can't do it on our own, that we have to depend on you, whether it's in our parenting or it's being a husband or a wife or being a friend, Father. Help us to be led by the power of your spirit and walk in your word. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.